Welcome back to the Crash the Pond podcast. It's a Monday, January 16th edition of the show. Happy Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Hope if you had the day off, hope you had a great day. And if you didn't, well, hope you had a great day anyway. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Happy you stayed there. I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to, you know, include everyone here. There you go. So we've got much to discuss because the Ducks just played, I think, what was one of the more exciting games of the season. We got some highlights in this game to, to go over. We've got the last week of Ducks news and, and games to talk about, although I feel like we probably won't spend too much time on that because A, the Ducks only played two games, and B, games are pretty forgettable. Yeah, I mean, let's just, I, we can briefly mention what those games were and what the scores were, but yeah, it was definitely a forgettable week. It was one where you and I were texting today. And we had kind of established that we might go into a different topic that we still are probably going to go into at some point. But um, with the thought that if today's game kind of went that same route, that we would definitely need more to talk about than these last couple games because the the game against the Devils was really, really rough. The game against the Oilers also really, really rough, Um, especially after the way they played against the Bruins last Sunday, which we would have covered already, but they lost the Oilers on Wednesday, six to two, and they lost to the devils on Friday, six to two also. And these were just really poor showings from the ducks overall. And it looks like I've lost Felix for some reason. I'm not quite sure why, but I will just keep on going. Sorry that you have to stay on my face and my face alone. Um, but these games were rough games. Um, the Ducks lost to the Oilers. Connor McDavid kind of put on a show. It looks like we've got Felix back. No clue what just uh, happened, but well, fun times. That was brief. Uh, yeah. Um, but the Ducks lost to the Oilers. Uh, McDavid put on a show. The Ducks kind of really got caved in in that game. And same thing against the Devils. Um, the one thing I will say is these are two of the most high-powered offenses in the league. And so maybe that's something to take away from it. But I don't think the Ducks really did themselves any favors in these games. And it really kind of exposed the flaws and really was not a great look with kind of how the line combinations had been put together. And the fact that they were allowing this many chances to spend goals um, after those changes. I mean, the 7-1 to game against Boston, 6-2 Oilers, 6-2 Devils. And so it was fascinating to see what Dallas Akins was going to do after ending the, the homestand like that because – I can't remember a stretch where the Ducks would have allowed that many goals in three straight games. I don't know if you can. No, and so that takes us into tonight's game. And to your to the point you're making here about the changes, we got our answer. And I think it's so strange with Dallas Higgins because you will get these occasional glimpses of, oh, I agree with that change, or, oh, yeah. that's the correct assessment of the roster. And it almost makes you wonder, like, who... Who was behind this change? Was it was it the GM? Was it you know who whose idea was this? Because he's so resistant to making these changes, at least that we see fit. And so tonight, going into this game, you have Trevor Zegers back at center on the second line with Ryan Strom at the wing. And to me, the biggest the biggest takeaway from that change isn't so much Zegers going back to his natural position; it's Ryan Strom going to the wing. Yeah, because Ryan Strom has been basically anchored at center all season long and has had, I think, maybe one stint on the wing that lasted it was like, one period. Yeah, it was like one a couple of shifts when McTavish was at center on that line. Yeah, yeah, uh, but to, and, and and it was also primarily stapled with Vitrano. Exactly, and so you have Strom on the wing and you have Strom sp- uh, split up from Frank Vitrano, and they've been joined at the hip all season. 
So that right there is the biggest change because outside of that, I mean, this lineup isn't really anything too noteworthy. You still have that top line of Henrik, McTavish, and Terry. And so this was going to be an interesting matchup because the Penguins are a good team, as always, and the Ducks are <laughs> the Ducks are not a good team. Nope. And so this was this was going to be an interesting test. You know, the, the Penguins aren't like an elite team this year. They're closer to middle of the pack when it comes to those five-on-five metrics we look at. But like I've been trying to make the point of on this show and elsewhere the last couple weeks, everyone is better than the Ducks at this point in time. So yeah. anyone is going to be a challenge. And especially, I mean, a team like the Penguins is certainly going to be that. And I thought that the Ducks acquitted themselves quite nicely in this game despite it eventually being a loss. Yeah, and it's going to be a weird game because I, I think you're going to look back on the overall numbers, right? And you're going to see ex- from an expected goal totals at 5-on-5 five five adjusted – Pit, per evolving hockey, Pittsburgh had 4.04 expected goals for the Ducks only had 2.22. And so you're going to see that and think that this was actually a pretty bad game. The Ducks allowed a bunch of chances against things like that. And while that's not completely untrue, I think if you're trying to at least assess a better 16 minute effort, this I think would be one of those because you look at kind of the game flow chart and it's a fascinating one from a five on five perspective that the Penguins really just had they they were consistently applying chances, but it wasn't much different than what the Ducks were doing for most of the game. Um, but they just had these couple of flurries that really generate chances. One of them resulted in the first or the second goal for the the Penguins in this game, where it was a flurry of chances coming for the Penguins with Evgeny Malkin eventually finding the puck in the net front and burying it. And then there was another flurry in the third period that both these like resulted in about one expected goals for something around there. And so sure you could say, well, the ducks need to limit those. And that's true. But I think if you're looking from an overall effort perspective, 60 minute effort where they're playing a lot better, I think that you'll take those couple of stretches where maybe it's a minute of extended, uh, extended zone time, extended chances against where it might be a mental slip up here and there, but the ducks aren't necessarily, we're not looking for them to win the game. We're looking for the process to improve. And I think from that perspective, you can say outside of those two stints, there was a much improved process. Now the ducks did flatline a little bit offensively in the late second period, early third period and throughout the third period. And so that's one thing they'll need to work on. But I think from the overall team defense perspective, I think this was a better game and better effort from the Ducks overall. And it also created a very entertaining game, which I think is also something you and I look for in that if the Ducks are going to be bad, at least somewhat make it entertaining, make it back and forth, have offense going both ways, not be this completely one-sided effort that we saw over the last couple of games where it was just almost laughable how easily the Ducks were were being penetrated into the offensive zone. You look at the first period against the Devils where it really felt like that. And so this didn't feel like the Penguins were constantly coming in waves. This felt like a little bit of a back-and-forth affair with the Penguins getting some better chances. I think that that's a really good sign for this Ducks team overall. Even if the this may not result in better results long-term, this at least leads to a better process. Yeah, I mean, I personally think that the, the Penguins are pretty clearly the better team in this game. Yeah, they were just controlling the game more. They were establishing a cycle in the duck zone, especially in the first period. I thought that the disparity was there, but kind of to what you're saying here, the ducks just had pockets where they at least were showing some fight, where they were showing some positives that at the end of the day, maybe aren't fully reflected in these shot differentials, but at least, you know, that there were moments where this team look like it was competing. And and that's really, I think, at, at this point in the season, all that you can really ask for. 
Yeah, and I, I think the standout performance for me tonight, honestly, was uh, the Zegris-Strom-Comtois the line. Yes. And, I mean, shocker that kind of, not tooting our own horn too much, but these things that we've been talking about, right, that, that you and I have been harping on a bit, that there's other people on the internet, this isn't just us either, uh, other people on Twitter that you'll find that have said, like, Ryan Strom should be on wing. Mm-hmm. Like we actually saw it with when Mason McTavish was at center and Ryan Strom was on the wing that Ryan Strom was way more effective, um, both in the defensive zone and offensive zone coming at it from that position. And Max Comtois, we've seen Max Comtois with Trevor Zegers have success. Yep. And for whatever reason, whether it's personal issues, who knows what it is, don't want to really speculate on anything like that. But Comtois just has been in Aikens' doghouse uh, for most of, honestly, Aikens' tenure. Um, yeah. outside of maybe the, the shortened season, the 16 goal uh, season. Yeah. And so it's nice to see him get a chance here because you look at some of the numbers when he was with Zegers and Terry and they were fantastic together as a line. And for whatever reason, Dallas Aikens went away from it. And when Comtois is with guys that can't really generate offense for him, he really struggles a bit. And what we saw on this, and I think the, we're just kind of bouncing around this game a little bit, but the the third goal from the Ducks in this game to to take the three to two lead in the third period, I think was a prime example of this line working as a whole. And it's funny because some people will say, well, Zegras at a like what's the number one knock with Zegras as a as a center? It's it's gonna be people say defensive zone coverage, right? Yep. That he's weak defensively, yada yada yada. But you look at that goal and look at where it starts. It starts in the defensive zone. It starts with Zegras in a board battle with Evgeny Malkin, mm-hmm. of all people. Wins the puck and chips it up the board to Ryan Strom, who's quickly on the board and able to get the puck. And so it's not a, just a chip up the board to chip up the board. It's Zegers moving it to, to Strom, who then also puts it, I think, off the board to find Max Comtois, who's able to rush into the offensive zone with the puck on his stick. And that's kind of what Comtois does, right? He, he really kind of puts his head down, moves the puck, and he's able to get the puck low, and he kind of loses his balance, but Strom comes in and supports him. And there's a couple of play, other things that happen in the offensive zone, but Zegers ends up with stripping the puck high in the zone, moves it down low to Strom, ends up coming in. Strom finds him for the 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 quick shot that ends up beating Casey to Smith. And kind of that's a long ramble, but it's to all bring it back to that all starts in the defensive zone. And nobody's going to really focus on that with that goal. People are going to focus on... Maybe they'll focus on Zegers stripping the puck at the blue line and, and keeping it in the zone, which is also a very good play. They'll maybe focus on Strom and, and really the patience to hold on the puck when he was one-on-one with the Smith instead of jamming it into the net when there's really no angle there, he tries to find Zegers. But I think the really fascinating thing is no one's really going to fully look back at that defensive zone play that leads to that breakout, leads to the transition. And that is the number one knock uh, against a, a Trevor Zegers and what people don't necessarily look for. And even though he physically is not going to be as strong as an Evgeny Malkin, he's smart enough to be able to make use of his stick and get strip the puck. And while, yes, singular plays, there are more plays than that that happen throughout the course of the game, but I think it's emblematic of what Trevor Zegers does at center that makes him so effective and why that is the position he should be playing. Well, what was interesting is that throughout the game, you saw Zegers get multiple chances almost identical to that goal. He had chances throughout this game that Ryan Strom was setting him up on. And I think for Ryan Strom, it just seems to be, I mean, this is purely a small sample, but he was yeah. just having it. We're reading way too much into a small sample. We need to see more of this, but this is the information we have in front of us for that line. Yeah. Well, just based off what we saw, Strom just looked comfortable creating plays from the flank, creating plays down low, 
below the goal the goal line and on the wing and Segris was having a really kind of easy time or at least he was showing a really good ability to time when he was jumping into the slot because it wasn't like he was just sitting there he was kind of hanging around in the quiet areas and then dashing in right at the right moment so Strom looked good on the wing he was like that that play <laughs> you you could justify he could have justifiably taken a shot or try to jam it home, but he stayed patient, stayed aware, and looked for the better play, and Trevor Zegers coming down the the slot wide open there is the better play. So, yep, yeah, and so just overall, I mean, Trevor Zegers has a goal on the night, has an assist as well, a really nice assist um, on the on the Henrik goal, or sorry, on the, the Klingberg goal. And so... On that play too, you saw it where he's he's able to control the play coming down the middle. He dishes it off to Klingberg, who snipes it home. So to me, really the highlight of this game is that Trevor Zegers was just so good. I mean, he. You want my wired take, by the way? Let's hear it. So that goal was power play goal, right? Yeah, the, the Klingberg, Klingberg goal. So that all happens from the defensive zone with rushing it up the ice, and Trevor Zegers makes a move in the O's, or in the neutral zone with a guy kind of pinching up yep. and works around a guy. Yep. Should the Ducks be losing faceoffs on the power play on purpose <laughs> to enter the zone in transition and uh, and be able to generate chances? And well, yes, that was a little bit of a blown play, things like that. You're not necessarily going to get that on every zone entry. But I think having a zone entry with the clear uh, intent of being to set up a, the offensive zone on a power play I don't think is doing this Ducks team many favors. Like this well, is a team that th- should be entering the zone with speed when they can and try to generate offense off that rush. One caveat I would add is yeah. that this goal came right as the four on four ended. That's true. That's a fair so point. So it w- it's kind of like a power play goal in name only because the play started while the game was at four on four. Yeah. So it's more so a joke with the wired take, but it's I, still I, something I, to I, think about. Your point is well taken, though, that I think that this team is much more dangerous off the rush. Although I, I think that they're, I mean, their top power play unit looks good. I mean, they. No, they have. I mean, they, they they Mason McTavish have. almost won this game in the dying second. I mean, the dying second of, of the third period uh, with a one time blast that Casey DeSmith just snagged. So. Second period. Or second period, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm good. But I mean that that would have that would have been the difference. So they're no, you're right. Their 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 power play has been. I'm not too worried about it, but I do think that Fair. that's a good point that they are dangerous off the rush, and it kind of just shows how John Klingberg, for for as much as he struggled this season, like that's still his bread and butter. He's still a, a defenseman who can make a difference off the rush, who can who can join in, and the Ducks just haven't leveraged that at all. Yeah, it just hit me. That would have been, and it obviously probably was due to the fact that it was right off the um, right off the four on four ending. But that was probably John Klingberg's first look with Zegers on the power play in yeah forever. It feels like yeah. Like I wonder if that's something you go back to. Like Klingberg has, there's always going to be talk about his defensive game. I think that that's just what it is. And I think you, everyone just has to accept. That his defensive game structure, defensive everything with that, just never going to be where we they know are. what he does well, and we know what he doesn't do well. And at this point in time, I think as a Ducks fan, what you should all be looking for is Klingberg to put up points to raise his trade value, because <laughs> at this point in time, that's one of the most important things for John Klingberg to do. And I think that 
having him on that first power play unit as he's starting to his game offensively has improved. He's been generating more chances and it feels like almost every single game he's finding himself in positions to create offense for either himself or his line teammates in any situation. And obviously, like I said, it comes with some giving and taking where he's going to give up chances going the other way. But I'd really like to see him now that he feels like he's settled into this team a little bit more so far to get some more looks on that first power play, just to at least get some more looks at getting some power play points yeah. to be able to build that trade value. I, I think at this point in time, having Fowler on that unit was a good decision when they made it because Klingberg, I think, hadn't really settled into things on the team yet. And it feels like he's starting to really find his game again. And now I think is the time to make that transition. Yeah, I mean, I, as you know, for as good as that top unit has been, who cares if if Fowler comes off the top unit? It just doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at this point. What what matters more is getting value for Klingberg, and Klingberg might even make the top unit even better because he's yeah. he's just more of a threat from the blue line than Fowler is. Well, it, the entire first unit has completely changed since he was last on that unit. Yes, like. The last time he was on that unit, Zegers was on his off wing, and they yeah. were basically working for his one time. McTavish was not there. <laughs> no, I don't think McTavish was on the power play at all. Actually, to be honest, yeah. And so I think that it's time. I think to get... Strom. I think Strom was on that unit, right? Whatever. I, I don't know. Or early yeah. decision, early season decisions by Aikens are usually, yeah, they usually don't age well. Let's put it that yep. way. Yep. Yep. Remember, remember Isaac Lindstrom on Getzlaff's wing a couple years ago. Oh. But do you yep. remember the reasoning though? That's what still gets me to this day. Yep. Oh no, no, I don't. Sorry. The reasoning uh, Dalton was Dalton Keys is saying McTavish with the Zegers unit game one. So maybe I'm misremembering there. So Well, point. they didn't have it in the setup they have it now. Regardless yeah. regardless yep. of I think McTavish was actually a bumper uh, to start. Or maybe net front, but yeah. Anyway, the rationale was just well, we haven't been able to measure ourselves against other teams because there's been no preseason. So Oh, that's right, because that was the... the <laughs> that was the COVID the season. That was the COVID season, and that was the big gripe from Murray was that the Ducks didn't get any preseason games and yeah. the teams that didn't make the bubble should have gotten preseason games, all that different type of stuff. Oh, that was so good. Oh, fun times, fun times. Oh, but, um, by the way, this is now com- this is completely off topic, but... Did, well, let's do it. Did, it's fine. Did you see the Jim Rutherford quote about... Where- I listened to the entire press conference oh wow today okay so, yeah. so you're the expert here well i just saw oh. the i just saw the quote about we're not in a rebuild we're in a retool and we're going to prioritize targeting young players over graphics man i was just getting like ptsd hearing that from those bob it, murray pressers of, oh, remember the 23 it, to 25 age range quotes from murray yep 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 and never and all and no, legitimately, I listened to the thing. Jim Rutherford said he's not looking for draft picks. He look he's looking for more so hockey trades. Oh man, ring a bell. That is it. That is the actual the, the, <laughs> the hockey trade. Hockey trade is like a PTSD word for me at this point the, in time. That's the actual like death knell. If your GM says that, like you just know you're gonna be a rudderless ship for a couple more years. Yeah, it's gonna be a while, and that it yeah, oh, rough for them. That's especially so, that's so wait, good. By the way, now I'm just taking it even further on a tangent, but it's it's connected to what you said. Okay. All rumors are uh, really pointing towards Bruce Boudreaux being on the outs in Vancouver. Being let go, yeah. Yeah. Would you have him come back to Anaheim right now? Would you let Dallas Akins go to end the season and have Bruce Boudreaux come in? And I think the only thing that I have reservations about is that means that you have Bruce Bo- You wouldn't bring him in without having him locked in for next year. Yeah, I just... It's hard to see the point of that right now. Yeah. Like this team is going to be bad. And honestly, like if 
if Pujo, let's say, makes them better, like, are we sure that that's a good thing in the short term? Because right now the Ducks should just try to lose as many games well, as possible. You want you want more games like this one, and maybe yes, not but, exactly getting a point, but but having progress. And so if you yeah. can have Boudreaux providing them with some progress while still losing, I think that's the ideal situation. Like, I don't think Boudreaux comes in and just turns everything around. No. But at the same time, look, I don't want to mess with success. And by success, I mean getting Connor Failure. Bedard. <laughs> so I'm saying I'm saying veto to to bring in okay. a, a, an objectively great coach. Let me ask you this: Then come the off season, if Bruce is not hired by other teams, Bruce Boudreau or Andrew Burnett? Mm, that is a tough one because I love Bruce Boudreau. He's one of my favorite just people in in the sport. But I'm intrigued by Andrew Burnett. I'm intrigued, and my and I and, my, I, and I think what's what's grown my. I guess my optimism or my belief in Andrew Burnett is the way the Panthers are looking this season. Mm-hmm. And so, but I, I wouldn't have a, I wouldn't have a problem with either coach though. Yeah. I think I would prefer Brunette just simply with the way that he had the Panthers playing last year and how offensively they were going. The one thing I will say about Bruce, both good and bad is I think from the good perspective is he lets his players play. And I think that that is one thing that would be a breath of breath of fresh air. Um, especially to end the season is just essentially we don't know what Dallas Inc. has been like, not necessarily saying he's not a player's coach. Well, that's supposedly but, his entire like shtick is that he's yeah, a player's coach. He's a player's coach to an extent, though. He has his systems that are somewhat rigid, it seems like. Mm-hmm. And I think Bruce just essentially will sometimes let guys go out and play. Yeah. And I think that's something that bringing back Bruce would be really beneficial, not only for this team this season, but in the future, because it's essentially in – in a season like this, right, when it's a really rough season, you're losing a bunch of these games. Having a coach that comes in and basically says, go out there and have fun and not worry about the results, that can do wonders for you down the season and still essentially a lot of habits that are gonna you're really going to see the payoff for next year. And so I think that that is the benefit if you were to bring him in to bring him in this year. Having said that, Bruce hasn't necessarily had a – system that was conducive to an up-tempo transition style game. He's been highly offense, have, have, has had highly offensive teams, everything like that, but he's never had a team that was a transition based team. Well, and I think that that is where the ducks are, should be going. And that is what Andrew Burnett's, uh, Andrew Burnett is essentially known for with what he did. Bruce Boudreaux has been around so long that we maybe forget, but those early Capitals years, that, that yes. was a transition team. But that was also so long ago it was now. A, and it was a very different game. Different game. And I think back then, that was a bigger edge than it is now. Whereas Whereas teams are just more skilled. Here's the thing that I, I thought about with Burnett. And I think one of the biggest components of Burnett's success in, in Florida was that he really got the, the D involved in the offense. He was so good. I kind of yes. I kind of making it an outnumbered attack and listening to the PDO cast today I was thinking about it you know the Ducks have all these offensive defensemen coming into they're going to come into the NHL in the next 2 to 3 years heck even the next year and I think a guy like Andrew Brunette seems like the perfect fit to maximize a Pavel Minchukov or an Olin Zellweger or even a Jamie Drysdale so from a big picture perspective I really like the idea of Brunette but I'm never going to say no to to Bruce Boudreaux. Yeah, I think that's where I'm at. I think I would probably lean towards Andrew Brunette out of the two, 
but I would. Uh, I I think I just Bruce, g- give me the Bruce vibes. There's never there's that, never been bad Bruce vibes except in the I think playoffs. Bruce I guess. to end the season actually would be really enjoyable. I don't know if I would necessarily want Bruce for the beginning for essentially next year also. I, the thing is, I want him to go to a situation where he's not just gonna kind of be there for a year and a half or whatever, and then and then get kicked to the yeah. Curb, and so. I think and I think that's the thing, and so. I don't know if I would want the Ducks and kind of wrapping it back to my original question. I don't think I would want the Ducks doing that because yeah. uh, bringing in Bruce right now because I'd rather see Verbeek take his time, interview a bunch of different guys, not essentially jump on the first guy that comes onto the market, essentially do his due diligence, find the right guy, not the first guy. Yeah, exactly. I think that that's the entire thing, and that's why I'm good with Aikens staying the entire season. And, and Yeah, I've hit that point. And, and I mean, I've hit, I've hit that point a while ago because – you don't want to now the next coach really matters for this team. It's it's Paverbeek's first hire and it's the first hire that hasn't been made by Bob Murray in, I mean, over yeah. a decade. So you really want to get this one right. And you want it to be the guy who will be around, who will help build the next kind of wave of this team. So anyway, yep. we got really off track there, but that's fine. Yeah. The ducks are lost. I, I, the only other thing I really want to talk about from this game is what did you think of the overtime where Trevor Zegers comes in on a, we'll call it a breakaway, although maybe it was more of a partial breakaway, and he sees Cam Fowler trailing, who's about to be wide open, and he last second dishes it off to Fowler, and if Fowler gets a stick on that, like that's a goal, but instead Fowler doesn't even have his stick down, and the puck goes back the other way, and of course the Penguins score, and that ends the game. What did you think of that play? Uh- this may be a bit of a controversial opinion because everyone's going to just be like, you should shoot the puck there. Mm-hmm. Trevor Zegers made the right play. Oh, I just saw your tweet about this. Perfect. Now I, yeah. now I get to read the replies while you go on about this. Yeah. Trevor Zegers made the right play there. And, and sure, maybe he should shoot it. Whatever. I think that's the right play because you look at how Casey Smith played it. Casey Smith was tight to him. And you watch this right in, in shootouts. There are plenty of times where a shooter will look dumb because the goalie does a really good job of tracking him and doesn't bite on any fakes. And there's just no runway, no place to shoot. Trevor Zegers was kind of staying on the right side of the net. And Casey Smith really stayed tight and really didn't give him a whole lot to shoot at. No holes to open up. Was kind of really playing tight on him. And with the defender on his left side, there wasn't really a whole lot of space necessarily with the guy trailing him. He he wasn't fully kind of broken away. (laughs) No. And, And so he had identified all those different items and knew that with Fowler trailing the play like he was that that would have been a tap-in. And he made the pass and was there. And for whatever reason, Cam Fowler's stick was not on the ice. And that's the difference there. That was the right play. Yeah. And that was making that high-danger play to create the more dangerous scoring opportunity as compared to... Because what happens if he shoots that puck? There's not really an angle. There's really no well, if place he shoots shooting. It's kind of tight. If, if he shoots it, it might be a reverse breakout anyway. Yeah. Like, it probably goes off a pad, kicking it the other way. Or if he misses, it goes wide and wraps around. I mean, sure, there's a chance maybe it rebounds to Fowler and he buries it. And maybe that's what Fowler's thinking there. But, I mean, well, he made the right play. That And it's a high-skilled play and a high-IQ play. And Fowler just didn't read it right. Yeah, I mean. That's I, the I, end of it. I don't want to call it, like, the right play. I just think it was a good, it was a fine choice, given given the options Fair. that he had. Because I, I think shooting it would have been a fine play, too. Um, I just still don't really understand why Fowler didn't have his stick down because the Pittsburgh defender wasn't lifting his stick, didn't have him tied up. So I just didn't really understand Fowler's position there. I think 
what makes it harder to accept is just that Seagrass is so good on breakaways, as we've seen in the shootout. But that's not really a shootout situation. He can't come in slow-mo and just do whatever he wants to the goalie. And and I think that that was, that was a good play by him, and it was just the wrong result. That'll happen. Yeah, and, and as a response, people may be saying, like, oh, you have to get a shot on goal there. No, you don't. Like, Well, you have to get the best opportunity possible given the circumstances. Yeah. Like, getting a shot on goal there is just essentially working the working the shot on goal counter basically. And you want to work for the most dangerous opportunity that you can get. And that was, that is a reasonable, has a reasonable chance of connecting, right? You're trying to weigh the options, weight different things in your own head. It's a very quick split decision, but that was a good opportunity and was a good play by Zegers to make. Yeah. And so I have no problems I, with it. I think that if, if we, if this was a situation where the ducks were in an actual playoff race, I think we would be hearing a lot more about it, but because the ducks are where they are. No one else. No one is really hand wringing too much. Another thing I want to ask you about. Oh, yeah. Unless you had something this, this nope. now. Another thing I want to ask you about from this game, which I had just noticed, which maybe is a tell of how closely I've been paying attention to these recent games. But uh, what do you think of the puck tracker? That was my bone I was going to pick. Oh, oh, okay. Perfect. Well, I'm glad I, I set you a, up there. I have a bone to pick with this. <laughs> okay, let's hear it. Do you want to know what my bigger issue, my big issue is? The freaking nameplates. Okay. Well, the, like, okay. The, 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 the puck tail, whatever. I'll get into that. I don't have as big of an issue with that as I do the, the nameplate because the nameplates block the ice. Like, they block the play where you can't see things behind it. Like, players can be hiding behind that. And so it's extremely frustrating that you're, it, it's the same thing as the the score bug. The fact they put the score bug on the bottom of the the screen instead of the top corner, where oh, yeah. now part of the ice is blocked. Well, the worst like, part of their score bug is that we get like NBA and MLB scores on the right side. Yeah, but it's but like the puck can legitimately be in that area, and now it's blocked, and the players can be down there, and it's blocked by that score bug. And same thing with with these nameplates. It's just like I don't need to know the name like have a name above each player i get how it can be useful right for a newer fan yeah but it's still a situation where even for a newer fan you want them to see the whole ice you don't need to have this this nameplate above someone that is going to block the ice as a purpose i just don't know like does this really help you know new fans like no other sport does this you don't see the nfl or baseball or basketball have nameplates over their players right they don't do it in live time in real time they'll do it in like highlight sure packages but and that's fine like that. but i'm talking yeah. about in real time and you don't have a ball tracker i mean i guess a puck is harder to track but i i don't understand why the nhl so, feels this great need to do this i don't mind the puck trail oh the puck trail. no i don't i don't it's so I bad don't, it's so bad. That that I don't care as much about because it's so bad. It's not intrusive. It is intrusive. It's not intrusive like like the nameplates. I think that that it's one you can make my screen. I think that one you can make the argument for that for someone that's newer to the game, it's a very quick moving puck. It's sometimes harder to track all the different things. It can be useful, especially on a power play with very quick puck movement. And see, you're I to actually find that. I think the power play is the easiest time to track the puck because Fair. you can see exactly where the guys are trying to pass. I do think that having all of that on during three on three overtime is a garbage decision. Yeah. Dude, the, like I can't the, believe the, you're, I like can't the, believe you're taking a stand for the puck tracker. Am I taking a stand or just saying it's whatever? Like I think on a power you're play, it's fine because, okay. Okay. Fine. Um, no, but there, I think the very first game that they did it, 
they had the nameplates, and in the third period, they turned the nameplates off. I just and they only did the puck tail, and like that is what you should like if you're gonna do it, only do that. You know what you should do instead of the puck trail? Do like have you have you ever played an NHL video game? Yeah. So there's like a been a while, but yeah, there's like a shadow on the puck, and to me that's perfect because it's less intrusive but it makes it more obvious where the puck is. Just have like a little sh- like a little shadow around the puck, like a little highlight almost. I think that you'll get the same exact people saying the same exact thing. Well, no, but I think that. that that would just be better than just this weird line dotting my screen and and it looks like a little it looks like a 7-year-old is scribbling all over the screen. It's just awful. Yeah. That one I don't mind. I I generally This is this is actually this might be your worst take. And is it? and lord knows. <laughs> is it? Well, actually, I, no, I don't, because I think you said something very objectionable the other day. I did? Uh-oh. I forget what gonna, it was. Are you, you going to find receipts? I'm honestly losing track at this point. I'm not going to bother. Uh, um, you're in luck. No, I yeah, the nameplate's the bad one, because you're actually blocking the ice and inhibiting someone's ability I agree to watch that the, the thing. I agree that the, the, the nameplates are worse. I agree with that. And I do, like, I acknowledge that there's value for the puck trail for a, a newbie fan, but here's what I would ask. How many newbie fans are actually watching Ducks Penguins on, on Monday? That's fair. So, and, you know, it, it's not a perfect argument, but I think it's it's got some value. So, so Felix, do you know one way to avoid having to have these nameplates, though, in Puck Trail? How? You can actually go to the games, and you can do that with their That's friends at 714 Tickets. I think it's agreed that there's really no better way to watch hockey than going to games live and in person. That's where 714 Tickets comes in. 714 Tickets is a locally owned company, a ticket company in Anaheim that never charges you taxes or service fees, unlike StubHub or Ticketmaster. They're located right in front of Honda, the Honda Center, but also have a website, 714Tickets.com. Dot com where you can earn 5% back in rewards on every online purchase. So let's recap. You get to see your favorite team play. You can pay no fees. You can earn rewards back for future purchases. I mean, Felix, it sounds like a no-brainer. And here's the other thing. Like I said, we we just spent, what, way too long talking about this puck trail and this nameplate. <laughs> if you're in a game, they can't do any of that to you. You don't have the digital ad boards. No. You don't have it. You don't have to deal with the commentators. You get the ambient sound of hockey when the game is going on. And you can do that with 714 tickets. So shop your Ducks tickets at 714tickets.com or stop by their office for a more personal feel. Check them out and use the promo code CTP to get tw- uh, to get 10% off your purchase. Go check them out. Yep. Support local business. Yep. Sorry. Yep. Great local business. One of the very early things that we had a, any sort of yeah. relationship with on this back podcast. Back in the, the AC days. Back in the AC days. Back in the Mixler days. Oh, God. Shout out to anyone that listened to us on Mixler way before Twitch. Yeah, if you if you were listening to us on Mixler, hit us up on Twitter. At, at us after, after this and let yeah. us know. Yeah, I need to find someone that remembers that. I don't even remember how that software worked. Yeah, I just remember have using my phone for the streaming, and I don't I don't know how I don't know how God, I got away with that. God bless everyone for dealing with our audio quality back then. Like comparing, I use I I use Skull Candy ear or earbuds for my microphone. <laughs> the very first couple ones. Remember you had the what was it called the the Blue Yeti? I guess I that, had the that, Blue Yeti. I had the Blue Yeti for years. That's actually not terrible. You had one before that though. It was like a the ball. snowball. The snowball. The snowball. Yeah. Well, you know, 
if our tech setup now is, is leaps and bounds better than what it was. So, so much better. So thank so, you. Thank you to everyone who stuck with us. Okay. Yeah. So that was that game. So do we want to get into the topic that we were going to do? Well, okay. I actually have a topic that I want to get to. I have two topics I want to get to before okay. we do that. This this might run a little long today. Who knows? I don't. I'm I'm not particularly pressed for time. Thankfully, maybe we save the other the other one for a Patreon episode. Then we'll see. We'll see. But okay. but here is um here's something I want to throw at you. I was again listening to the PDO cast the other day, and great great show. Go check them out. Great show. And was thinking about this. You know, they were just discussing the Edmonton Oilers, Ryan Lambert and and Dimitri, and. Talking about how the big need for the Oilers is the fact that they don't have much offense beyond their star players. And I am looking at one Adam Henrique in Anaheim. Mm-hmm. And he's got he's got this year left on his deal, and then the year after. Is he not kind of like the perfect fit for what the Oilers need? Yeah, he is. Assuming that Edmonton is not on his no-trade list, because that is a very big assumption which we don't know about but he's got a yeah and i would assume that he might even waive the no move to go i mean who knows right he just had a child there there's a whole lot that goes into that 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 goes outside of the hockey side of things but edmonton would allow him to chase a cup exactly i mean he's got a great opportunity to chase a cup in edmonton so assuming that he would accept the trade there there's a couple issues first off um the Oilers have no cap space. That's number one. And number two, from a Ducks perspective, what could you really want back from the Oilers that would make it make sense for, for, for you? Because I think Adam Henrique is potentially the Ducks' best trade chip right now because he's still, I mean, he's on pace for 27 goals. He's showing no signs of slowing down. He's still a play driver. He's about to be 33 on February 6th. I just... Shout out, shout out to a great birthday. Do you guys share a birthday? Yeah, he's one year older than me, exactly. Well, I'll be damned. But anyway, point is, Adam Henrique is still just as good as he's been, as he's ever been. And I'm just wondering, like, why this seems like a perfect match between Edmonton and Anaheim. Yeah, the real tough part is making the money work. And that's my question, and that's why I'm posing it to you, because I know that this is something that you, you enjoy. So that I enjoy doing? So the name, that com- I, the, the name that immediately comes to mind is obviously Jesse Pugliari. Yeah, but that doesn't necessarily... The, the issue with, with looking at an Adam Henrique deal, right? It's not necessarily this year. It, it's the fact that his contract bleeds into next year also. And so I think if you take back a Jesse Puyarvi, that's not necessarily... Um, it's almost like that. That's in it. that is one of the return pieces. I think you also have to take back an additional player to help out with next season, whether that is... I mean, here's a dumb question that I'm trying to remember. But weren't the Oilers looking to move Tyson Berry? That I don't know. But that because, th- that would be like a bad money. I mean, is I don't know if he's considered yeah. bad money, but that's Exactly. Cuz I think but that that but that's what I'm looking at here is that it's a bad money deal and so you could do Adam Henrique for Jesse Puljujarvi, Tyson Berry and a first round pick. Yeah, I mean, do you, do you think Adam Henrique gets you something like that? A first round pick plus a good, I mean, a good young. The player? tough part's the term. I mean, thirty the thirty two thoughts yeah. podcast talked about this. I think the PDO cast also recently talked about this. That 
the the main issue that's happening right now is GMs are afraid of taking on term. But here's the funny thing, though, about the term thing. Yeah. And the PDO has also talked about this, but that GMs have no issue with term during the summer. Yeah. When it's yep. free agency. No, 100%. But for whatever reason, if it's anything else, term is is like this poison pill. Yeah. And I mean, Adam Henrique, like here's the here's why I don't think the term is an issue with Adam Henrique to Edmonton is that it's one more year. The Oilers mm-hmm. are in their contending window. Yeah. He gives you two playoff runs. Like I think that this, like him having an additional playoff run for them is actually better value than just one. I, I don't disagree. Yeah. Um, Curtis in our, our YouTube chat says, I'm laughing at the thought of ridding ourselves with Klingberg and Shattenkirk and immediately replacing them with Tyson Berry. Well, I, I mean, you could also it, it deal. It is kind of funny. You could also deal Tyson Berry. You don't. Ne- you could. You don't necessarily have to hold and on to And you him. could retain. Exactly. Like I make it easier. But yeah. I, the question is, I'm not quite sure. And, and so I don't really want to uh, speak on that too much. Just me floating the idea out there. Cause I don't know where Tyson Berry's value is at because he is putting, producing points. Yeah. So I don't know if he would necessarily be considered a negative value guy. That was just someone that instantly came to mind because I thought I saw him in a trade trade rumor. I wouldn't take on Cody CC because the third year um, on that contract and so really it, I mean, if it's Jesse Puyarvi, maybe you retain to make that money work and maybe you try to get a prospect back also, because I think the Oilers are just trying to dump Puyarvi at this point in time. Yeah. I guess, and, the, and I guess the bigger question, honestly, for me is from a duck's perspective is just do the Oilers have something that's enough of interest to you to, to move Adam Henrique to make it worth it. And that's, I think Jesse, I think Jesse Puliarvi is someone of interest to me. I mean, because if, if you can get Puliarvi plus a first rounder, whatever else you have to do, that seems to be worth it to me. Yeah. I mean, here's the question, actually, speaking of the Oilers, Evander Kane is supposed to be ready to go soon. And so they are currently have no cap space and they are using LTIR to, to be, cap compliant essentially right now with Evander Kane. I'm they may need to make a trade soon. And so that that's kind of where this is going, right? That even if they trade for Enrique, they need to move stuff out even before that. So I'm really not sure if the Oilers are a good fit from that perspective of it, especially with Evander Kane coming back. That might make Henrique a little bit expendable from their side of things. Well I still think that they should I still think that they should get Adam Henrique even with Evander Kane in tow. But yeah. So it's a, I mean, it, it's a tough deal to make work mainly from the cap perspective. Um, I think, the, I think that the, the bigger issue for me again is just, that I don't know if I'm so sold on anything that the Oilers have to have them be the one that get Adam Henrique, especially if you do have to take back money that you might not want to have. I think a team that honestly would be the most likely to get, I mean, Curtis is bringing up Broberg. Well, yeah, I, I don't know if they move Broberg. I think a team I would maybe target a little bit if they are all in, not all in on this year, but I think they may actually like the fact that Henrique has term would be potentially a Seattle Kraken. (laughs) I was just about to say them because, and I think they're an analytics friendly organization. Henrique has put up really good, uh, expected for Shane, Wright. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But like, I, I think that that could be an interesting team. I'm not sure what they would be willing to give up necessarily, but I think that you might be able to find a, a match there. I think I said this last episode though, and I've said this a couple times now. I think with Adam Henrique, it's really going to come down to what is the return. Yeah. And if the return is not up to snuff, then you keep him because 
I think you really have to hit a, hit a home run with that deal because of what it can potentially do to Zegris, to Terry, to those types of guys, and the fact that he is available for next year. Um, I, I see some people in uh, in our chats bringing up the Rangers. Um, I'm not quite sure. Let me see. Where are the Rangers from a cap perspective? I could have sworn they were up against it. Most teams um, are, so it's not a bad bet. True. They are. Uh, they currently are listed at 866K. Yeah. So it, it would be tough. They have two first rounders that they can trade, but they would need to move out money this year and next. And they have uh, a decent amount. And the issue is they have money tied up for next year and they're going to have to sign Philip Heedle this summer. Um, they, there's just money that is, it doesn't make sense. And so all that being said, I think the way that the cap is set up this year, the fact that there are so many teams tied, tied it to feels the cap, likelier like Henrique is not going to be dealt this season. Yeah. That, yeah. Then next season. Yeah, but it was just an interesting thought because I do think just from a hockey perspective, there's a lot of teams, contending teams, that could benefit from Adam Henrique, if not all. Remember when he was put on waivers? Yeah, remember who made that decision and and how that person's decisions have, have aged? Yeah. Anyway, and then another thing that I wanted to bring up, this kind of took me by surprise. So Frank Saravalli, respected insider, what have you, daily face-off, um, had a trade bait article, he so, did something to that effect. He did, and he has a tier that's potentially available or potentially on the move. And Cam Fowler's name was in there, and I was shocked to see that because to me, Cam Fowler is the closest thing to untradeable as you can find in the NHL because his no trade clause is so restrictive. He gets to pick a list of four teams that he wants to go to. So to be fair. This was specifically about sizing up the market that was similar to Shane Goss's bear. That 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 is where this occurred. Was it was in a uh, could Shane Goss? The article is could Shane Goss's bear be a cost efficient source of blue line firepower at the deadline? And as you scroll down to that, there's a sizing up the market portion, and it says other defensemen available list Chikrin, Klingberg, Gavrikov, Car- Carlson, McCabe, Ryan Merkley. And then he has another sec, uh, section saying potentially available defensemen. Uh, Luke Shen, Cam Fowler, Nico Mikola, Jacob Magna, Sean Walker, Carson Soucy. Yeah, so, but even I, still, I, I mean, potentially available Cam Fowler? But these are guys that I don't know if, like, I feel like the Sharks are in love with Jacob Magna. So I, it feels, these feel like situations where it's Frank kind of taking a guess based upon where well, teams are Well, that's your at. interpretation. That is. Let's be clear. That is my interpretation. There's also an interpretation, which is that who knows? There's something out there about Fowler maybe not being the happiest. Maybe. Who knows? Maybe. I think. But that, I think if that's the case, he wouldn't have been potentially available. I think we would have heard, gotten wind of that, and it would have gone. If he has legitimately said that, I think he wouldn't be potentially available. He would just be straight up available. And I think that there's a key distinction there. Or not. Or not. Maybe it just depends how things play out. Who Who's in the market for him? We don't know. But... Entertain this for a second, though. If Cam Fowler is potentially available, if he's actually available, first off, is that a good thing for this team? And if he is, and if he is, and if you move him, what are you, what are you looking to get back? What is his value? I have no idea. Um, that's a deal that I just I have no clue on because. When you look at Cam Fowler, right, he's not only signed for this year and next year. Three years. 
the three more years after this one. He signed through the 25-26 season. And we talked about it, right, how so many teams don't want to trade for for term. That's talking about Henrique with one more year. I don't think that there's a team out there that wants to take on a guy that signed for three more years after this one, let alone someone that's 31 right now and someone that also has a four-team yes list. Like, I think all of those factors considered, the return is just not going to be worth it where it makes sense to go ahead and move him. And I think that that's where I come in on this is that it just really, this this doesn't make any sense whatsoever for him to be moved because of that. Um, and I think from the perspective of, you look at the Ducks blue line, right? As compared to the forward group, I think you make the argument that you can move Henrique because there's guys, there's there's depth there. What uh, they need to add more depth, but you you did sign Ryan Strom this offseason, right? Who's kind of a similar mold in some ways to an Adam Henrique. You you brought in those guys on the blue line. It's kind of barren going into next season. It's Fowler and Drysdale, like that's it. Like unless you want to consider Benoit also, but. I mean, shocker, anyone out there that has been watching all the, or that hasn't been watching these games, Benoit has been really bad. And I don't know if he's on this team next year. And so, I mean, is, is that a bold take? I mean, kind of, but continue. He's been bad. Continue. But so you have Fowler's really the only, Fowler's the only left-hand shot D that is locked into this team next year. Yeah. So I, I think all that being said, um, you know who I think could do it? Det- who? And who he would accept a trade to? Detroit? Detroit Red Wings. They. The thing is, you're going to get pennies on the dollar in this deal, and it's going to be a negative value deal. It's going to be one of those where it just, you're not going to get the value back. Here's what, I'm cu- here's what I'm curious about, though. Yeah. What if Cam Fowler just actually, like, this is all purely hypothetical. What if he actually just wants out? Let's just say. Let's just say that he doesn't think that this thing will turn around quick enough he sees detroit he sees potentially an opportunity there there's a relationship between eiserman and verbeek depends on the return they're not cash strapped like other teams they're not you know their their cap space is not quite as quite as difficult of a situation although they have some guys to resign this summer i don't know Depends on the return because I think if you are getting nothing back, and granted, there is some value to that. I don't think he's a negative value asset, though. Like I, I, I understand. I, I don't. I think if anything, he's a nothing value asset in the sense of because of his cap hit and the the term associated. I with think that. the term is the bigger issue. And so I think if you want to look at it from the Ducks' perspective, is the value you'll get back is getting out of that contract. The question is over that that span is that contract going to make it well that's that, be cost prohibitive for this team long term that's the value for the ducks is yeah because the thing is camp Fowler's is good right now although he's had a difficult season but there's no way of knowing if that will continue for three more years and then potentially that contract becomes an anchor for Wait. the ducks are we throwing crap on camp fowler uh john h in our youtube chat saying that i don't are we i like cam fowler i think cam fowler i mean we, this year's been a rough season but I mean, Last year, he was probably the D- Ducks' best defenseman. It's just more so talking about his value in the contract that carries that value for him. Yeah, I mean, anyone that's listened to us over the last three years would know that we are big Cam Fowler proponents. He's been the Ducks' best defenseman during that period of time. This is just purely talking about what it, I mean. T- t- discussing a trade for a player isn't crapping on them. It's just um, this is just how it works. Okay. 
changing the topic slightly, seeing as we'll probably just get into questions after this. Mm-hmm. But um, did you see the the contract that was signed today and what that could potentially have implications for for the Ducks? Uh, which contract? No. Matthew Boldy. Uh-huh. Matthew Boldy was signed to a seven-year extension at $7 million per year. This is now the second player kind of of Trevor Zegers' ilk. Yeah. That signed his uh, second deal coming off his ELC and signed it for a massive term. You have Jack Hughes signing an eight times eight deal. And now you have Matt Boldy signing a seven times seven deal. And if you look at on a per game per production perspective, Boldy and Zegers are pretty similar. Um, And especially Zegers, I think is a little bit lower on points per game. If you consider their entire time in the NHL, but if you do the same time period as Boldy's their Zegers grades out slightly better from a production standpoint. And I mean, the, the thought process behind these deals and for those people wondering, like, why are these guys coming off their ELCs getting these contracts? Cause I don't know if you remember this at all. People questioned Jack Hughes getting that contract. Mm-hmm. People were like, he did, he hasn't earned this deal yet. He hasn't put up the points to warrant this type of contract, which is a very old way of thinking. And instead the devil's, as they're getting rewarded for now with a guy that's under contract for at a very valuable or very beneficial cap hit to them. They understood that they are going to be paying for the guy's prime. And so that is when they should be paying him the most. And they are still getting a deal by paying him $8 million a year. And the, the wild might have that also with Matthew Boldy. And so I think this really sets the stage for Trevor Zegers and what his contract negotiation is going to be. Well, I mean, it and makes I, it makes sense. Evolving Hockey has his contract pro- projection at seven times six point eight, so it's it's right in that ballpark. Like, yeah, and so I would probably put him. I mean, maybe you get a bump for center, but I would say he's probably going to end up within the seven. If and this is kind of where I was going with it, it sets the ballpark for his negotiation. Well, and he's, he has. Zero, yeah, he has no he has no leverage right now because he's does not have arbitration coming off his ELC, and so the two sides of it are he could want term and the Ducks could want term and they could go seven or eight years for seven to eight million dollars, and that would buy two to three years of his UFA status because if in five years he's going to become an unrestricted free agent. The other option is that he takes a lower cap hit, maybe four or five million dollars on a three year deal. And then he comes out of this with two years left before unrestricted free agency. And the Ducks could then sign, and then he could get a larger cap it as a result of that after that. It's taking a risk on yourself, but I could see Trevor Zegers doing that. And yeah, so, if, if I were Trevor Zegers and I were telling him like what I think he should do, which might not be a good thing for him, but I don't. I think these long-term deals are great in terms of security, but especially for a guy like Zegers who hasn't really had a great situation to work in just production wise. I think going for a deal that just takes you to free agency is actually perfect because then I think he'll be in a much better position then than he is now. I think he's in a good position now, but I think he can be in a great position. What is it? Five years as opposed to now. Yeah. Well, I don't think I, he doesn't, he doesn't have the production to command. There's no way he's going to get a five-year deal. Like, I don't think, I I don't think, I I think Cole Caulfield's going to get more than all these guys, despite being a 15th overall pick. I think that, wow. I mean, Cole Caulfield might get 50 goals this year. I don't know. I don't know if Uh, you've seen that. I haven't paid too much attention to that, but I do. So I don't think Zegers is going to get a five-year deal. There's no way they sign him to that. 
because there's no way they're going to sign him to a contract that walks him to under. Well, yeah, they the, the Ducks are not going to want that. There's no, no reason. And I don't yeah. think they're going to sign him to a four year deal. And I don't think they're going to sign him to a six year deal because a four year deal takes him one year within it. A six year deal only buys one year of his unrestricted free agency. So I think it's going to come down to whether he wants a three year deal or a seven or eight year deal. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out because we're starting to see more guys from this this draft class take the term and get paid for it. And it's also going to be fascinating because this is Verbeek's first major contract negotiation. Yeah. I mean, I th- and, and I think if you're in the ducks though, you have to be careful not to play too much of hardball. Yeah. Because we've seen these RFA situations go sour and it really kind of polluting the water for future negotiations. Well, we've also seen Trevor Zegers in some ways speak out at the fact that the Ducks kind of played some shenanigans with him in his first year. And well, Bob, to, Bob Murray to, played shenanigans, although, no, you, although yes, you could argue that, that, that's what I'm talking about. You could argue that ownership is involved there, but yeah. But the shenanigans of sending him down to not count as a year towards unrestricted free agency. Um, so, and Zegers has come out and flat out said, yeah, isn't it funny that me and Jamie played the same exact amount of games our first year? Yeah. Like you don't think he notices that, that? doesn't, and so, that, that doesn't build goodwill. No. So yeah, all that being said, I wanted to just bring that up because I think it, it, it's another deal. It's just a, when you look at these contracts, you're looking and trying to project out where these guys are going to end up finding comparables is the best thing. Same thing with trades. Those are really the things that deals are built off of, especially when you're dealing with restricted free agencies where the players don't have a whole lot of leverage. So finding comparable is the best way to do, go about it. Yeah, I think if I were to predict it, I think, do you think Zegers gets the eight-year deal? Yes. I think so, too. And I think it'll... I think the Ducks are going to want to do that. I think they're going to want to do that. And he's not going to get the five years because the Ducks aren't going to want that. So at that point, it just really becomes a question of, you know, who who's going to win out there. And the Ducks do have the leverage. So... Well, it's a question of does... He, I don't know if it's necessarily... Because it takes two to tango here, and so the question is going to be: well, what does, does he Zegris, want? Does Zegris want term, or does he want does he want uh, a bridge? Well, are we really sure that Zegris is like this kind of player? Like I'm thinking of like a Matthews, or like you know this kind of player that is so potent that he should really be playing this kind of hardball because he's going to put up no. crazy points. Like no. I, I, as great as I think Trevor Zegris is, like he's settling into the 60 point range in the first two years of his career. I, I, of course, think he's going to get beyond that eventually, but he's not going to be like, he's probably not going to be like a top 15 player in the NHL, right? At least Matthew, Matthews played a different game though. Matthews actually took a sick or a five-year deal on the dot, which took him to unrestricted free agency. Yeah. And I mean, so yeah. that that's not what I think Zegers to do. I think it's, I don't think it's playing hardball saying I want a bridge instead of a long-term deal. Well, it's not that it's playing hardball. It's just in the position that these RFAs are in doing anything, but what the team wants and kind of trying to have it your way, there is kind of this association with that as you're, you're trying, you're, you're not doing what the team wants. You're trying to get it your way. You're trying to have the best situation for you. And it just kind of sets this dynamic. Whereas when the team plays hardball, it doesn't seem like they bear those same consequences of souring the relationship quite as much. Yeah. I, I don't necessarily I think also, that would be the case. I also I, I don't, I just, I don't, I just that, don't think players want to be seen as rocking the boat either. I don't think that's necessarily the case when you're talking about a negotiation between a bridge and a long term. Sure. I don't think players just straight up take what the team gets. I think if a player prefers to have a bridge over a long term deal, 
they negotiate that and the give and take between this, right? Because there is a give and take is when a player takes a bridge because that's more player friendly, they go, they have a lower AAV. Yeah. And that's where I was going to say, if, if he gets seven to eight years or if he takes that, then it's going to be in the seven to $8 million range. Like that's just what the AAV is going to be in I'm pretty confident. Tops. In if he goes three to four, three years, right? It's going to probably be in the three or $4 million range from an AAV perspective, maybe closer to four, not the three. Um, but that that's the give and take is you're giving up guaranteed money because over those three years, he would have made what three times, let's just say three times eight mm-hmm. is going to be uh 24 mil as compared to, let's say three times, let's say he gets five, 15 mil. He's living $9 million on the table over that three year span. That's just over those three years, not adding in the later. So it's whether you take the guaranteed money on the table or whether you want to negotiate and expect that once the bridge is up, you're going to make more. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. Yeah. I mean, we can also look at Nick Suzuki potentially. It's comparable. <laughs> All right. Let's get to questions. So we're going to start with our discord unless you've got anything else, but I think we saved that other topic for a Patreon show now. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we got this one from Lewis X two Oh nine, uh, in our discord, we're going to discord first. Say we've seen the ups and downs of rebuilding the se- of the rebuild this season. We've seen Dallas Higgins make questionable decisions from time to time. We've had folks pick tre- pit Trevor Segris and Mason McTavish against each other. With all of that being said, what is the one pizza topping you have to have on your pizza? Oh, wow. Uh, I mean, does cheese count as an answer? No, cheese. We're not getting into Tomato this sauce, plain pizza thing. Cheese. We're not getting into this plain pizza thing. Topping is a an addition to cheese. In addition to cheese and tomato sauce. Yes. Okay. Uh, great question. If I'm only, if I can only have one topping. Oh, I thought it. I thought it was what one topping is a must. What is the one pizza topping you have to have on oh, your pizza? That doesn't Take mean that it's the only. Just means okay, the one fine. you have to have. Um, I don't know. What's your answer? Uh, I was gonna say pepperoni, but that feels a that's little. That's what I was. That's what I was gonna say because the way I took it was you can only have this one. You can't add anything else. No, so I don't think that that's what that's go- asking though. Well, then it's pineapple. <laughs> wow. Pineapple on pizza is good. Potentially your worst take. Do you not like pineapple on pizza? It's it's just wrong. Have you had it? Yes, and it's wrong. It's so good. It's Classic wrong. Nomad chimed in and Twitch right at the perfect time when I said it. It's wrong. Pineapple. Yeah. Um, okay. Do you want to ha- add yours? I would go with pepperoni as a bland okay. answer. Yeah, pineapple plus or 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 here's the bold take if we're if I'm changing it, jalapenos. Yeah, although every time I have jalapeno on pizza, the next day is a rough one from a digestive standpoint. Well, yeah, but you're having pizza. Is that anyways. worth that's it? Gonna, no, that, usually that's, not. That's gonna that's gonna happen anyways with pizza. Mm, jalapeno makes it worse. Shaking wings ass is Strome playing better? Uh, is Strome playing better? And how did we like him on the wing? I think that. He's better suited for the wing, especially with Trevor Zegras. I think that he's got those kind of smaller, shorter area skills where he can make plays, but he's just not the one that's going to have to bring the puck up the ice and be kind of that focal point of the offense. He's, I think it's a perfect match potentially with Zegras at center and him on the wing. And then what's one soda to eliminate from existence? Oh, wow. Uh, I'm going to say Coca-Cola. 
What? I'm going to say Coca-Cola. The world would be a better place if that didn't exist. I mean, this is a very niche answer, but after, I think it's a very on-brand answer with the Ducks. And I would just eliminate it from an existence, which they have now, RC Cola. What is RC Cola? It was the soda that it was the cola that they sold at Ducks games for like the last. Is it like an off-brand Coke? Pretty much. Okay. I think it stands for Royal Crown. Yeah, that that sounds awful. It's not good. It's just not. And so the fact, I mean, your Coke take it is gonna get you hate. I'm not really hype hype uh, hyping up too much about it because I know you are you're gonna get hate from a lot of people for that. That is <laughs> one of your worst takes. Well, no, Joshua I, Fontaine just said, I just clutched my pearls at the Coke <laughs> blasphemy. Uh, it's a bad take. Look, here's the thing. I, this isn't a commentary on like the, the, the taste or whatever. It's just th- thinking about it from a public health standpoint. That's what? All. That's all. People will just, people will still drink soda. Hey, do what you can. Do what you can. I'm going after the big dogs, which you are afraid to do. As evidenced by your RC <laughs> you, Cola take. You're trying, to, you're trying to take down Big Cola on Crash yeah, the Pond? I, I'm going for the very top. <laughs> going for the tippity top top? Yeah. Yeah. Big, big Cola, we're coming for you. Yeah. Warren Buffett, if you're listening to this, I'm coming for you. Darko Theory said, it's so hard watching Comtois with great opportunities, but just not being able to get one in. His last goal is December 6th. 17 games, including tonight, tied with his longest streak. Is he just snake bitten? Or is this an issue at this point? What's the level of concern on his production? No concern. He's been playing in weird roles. I think that like he needs to be in a good opportunity and he'll, he'll get more chances. If he has a sustained stretch with like, let's say Zegers and Strom and he still can't bury a few, then maybe I'll have some concerns, but like Max Contois is just not this like true top six winger. He's a complimentary piece. And in the right situation, he can be productive, but we just need to dial back the expectations. Yeah, I think if he ends up being like a 15 goal scorer on the regular, maybe bumping up to 20 at best, like I think that's a good outcome for him. And I think, but he has to be playing with better players to be able to hit that kind of ceiling. Yeah. And so I, I don't, I don't necessarily think it think it's time to raise alarm bells on him. I'd like to see him in given a long stretch of games with these line mates and see what eventually ends up happening. Um, I mean, he is what think, he is. He's 24. Like he's, yeah, he's, I don't a, think I would be, I'm, I'm not opposed to trading him. Having said that, yeah, well, you think he's gone. I think he needs to have a very strong end to the season hmm. to get a qualifying offer. Fair. Um, the puff said, is it worth overloading a line with Terry McTavish and Zegris? And also does the return of Isaac Lundestrom have any effect on this team? I mean, I will be curious what happens once, uh, once one Isaac Lundestrom returns, because it's funny as much as I've been a critic of, of Isaac Lundestrom and his game and all that in recent years, I would much rather see him developing and, and getting an opportunity in the bottom six than, you know, like a Jason Magna, Jason Magna, for example. I mean, and Sam Carrick's been a good soldier, but even him, like I'd rather see a young player working through the kinks of, of kind of this season than, than a veteran who's probably not going to be here in a few years. So once he's back, I would assume that Jason Magna will be, I mean, I would assume that there's no way they're going to prioritize Magna over Lundestrom. No. So. No. And so as for the Terry McTavish Seagrass, I think it's definitely worth taking a look at it. I think I would say, though, that 
let's give this a little bit more of a look. Zegers has ended it back at center. I think there were two ways that you could fix it, either overloading that that line or doing what they did tonight. And so I think you run it, give it a run out with this lineup and see how it goes. As for Lundestrom, yeah, I, I think it's quite simple. Either he slots in and, and goes to the third line with Silverberg and Vetrano, and then Carrick drops down to play with Jones and Leeson, or uh, or Lundestrom just ends up with Jones and Leeson. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it, it I, I don't think it's – I think that's kind of where he will be. I don't know if there will be any necessary effect but I'll be curious to see how he, how it ends up. Um, and then Heyo Defo said, "Will Pat Verbeek make a trade before February fifteenth, twenty twenty three?" Yep, I think that we're gonna see some movement. I think that there's there's enough movable contract on this team to for Pat Verbeek to to be pretty busy. I mean, Max will Col- he do it? Bef- will he do it before February fifteenth though? The deadline's March third. Oh, okay. I see what you're saying. What's the significance yeah. of February fifteenth? Just I have no idea. I think he just that's okay. what Heyo did. In the next said. in the next month? Yes. I don't know. I feel like teams are not gonna do the whole like trade way ahead of time because you wanna save as much money as you can. So I I would say no. I would say zero trades. I'm gonna go with yes. I'm gonna go with one trade. Okay. Who is it? Don't Kul- know. Kulikov? Don't know. The Ducks could trade their entire like half their blue line in the next couple of months here if they really wanted to. Derek Grant comes back, plays one game, gets traded to the Pittsburgh Penguins. Derek Grant's been all right this season. Comes back, plays one no game. No one wants gets to traded. hear that though. Sorry, actually gets traded to the Vancouver Canucks <laughs> wow. for whatever because the Canucks are trading away picks for Derek Grant. <laughs> yeah, that would be that oh. would be perfect. That would be just the ultimate Jim Rutherford move. Oh man. Um, all right. And we got one, uh, Twitter question that I wanted to bring up. This came from, uh, even Wilder wing said question for the pod. What number will Bedard wear in Anaheim? And will he put Zegers to third line winger? After all Zegers did, uh, after all Zegers did to keep the ducks, after all the ducks Zegers did to keep the ducks in this game, will the broadcast ever focus on anything other than the pass to Fowler? Uh, yeah. So number for Bedard. Were they critical of Zegers? Yeah, they were like, why would you pass that? You need to shoot it. Oh, that's that's a bit too harsh. Yeah. So Bedard, I mean, probably 98. Yeah, I think Maybe so. Maybe six. Well, can, yeah, you can wear 16. Uh, I mean, it is interesting because Bedard is a center. Zegris is a center. McTavish is a center. It seems kind of play them all at center. Who cares? It seems kind of odd to have all three of those guys on their own lines. But I mean, if if it ends up being the case where Zegers moves to the wing, like that's not, that's not. If some, Connor Bedard's at center, not a big deal. Yeah, like that's not some discredit, you know, on Zegers. Like Connor Bedard is a generational talent, and so having him shift to the wing because you have Connor Bedard is it, that says nothing about Zegers and everything about Bedard. So or how about this? You have three great centers. Yeah, and you have them on the ice for the entirety of the game. Yeah, and. Like that's probably the like, best play to be honest. Like, like I don't, I, there's been a lot of talk about this, right? About what do you do if you get Connor Bedard? Just don't draft, just don't draft the center. Like what's like, people are like up in arms over the fact of what do you do with Isaac Lundstrom? I think and it's like, who cares? <laughs> okay. That, that has to be like, not a concern. <laughs> Let yeah. that one play out. Yeah. But Trevor Zegers was fantastic tonight. Fantastic being back at center. That's where he should be long-term. And so, Run Zegris, McTavish, Bedard. I think that like, that's perfect just because that that gives you so much flexibility. And they all do something different. Here's the thing. 
if you are chasing a game, throw one of them on the wing because Bedard's played wing. Zegers has played the like. All three of those guys can shift to a wing position if you're chasing a game and really need instant and offense. They could easily all play on the same line because they all have complementary skills. Yeah. Like Bedard is a sniper, Segrist playmaker, McTavish kind of a two-way threat, so they could make that work too. Yep. All right, so time for our question. So for those of you uh, listening to this on your favorite podcast services, we do a live stream of the show each and every Monday, typically at 7 p.m. You can find us at twitch.tv slash CrashSpond, where if you have Amazon Prime, you get one free Twitch Prime gaming sub each and every month. And you can use that to help us out more than you can imagine. You get special emotes in the chat, special badges next to your name. And also, you can watch us live at youtube.com slash CrashPond. Please go subscribe to our channel there, like our videos, everything along those lines. What is it? Smash that like button. Um, and it will help us get more visibility and put us out there more so more Ducks fans can uh, can find us and watch us and follow us and everything good with that. Yep. Um, all right. So we'll start with this one. This came from Curtis saying semi-chaotic question, but if at the deadline, we are one of the few teams at the bottom, should we swap first rounders with whoever else is in the mix? Play your way above them and increase the lottery odds. Yeah. I don't think that that would fly, but that is, I don't funny. think that will fly, but that is a very chaotic take. And I yeah. like where your head's at. It's good. It's good. You know, throw some weird things out there. Yeah. Uh, Roots 20 said, question, are Felix's on ice hot takes just as bad as his food ones? Because that corn dog one from last week is just abhorrent. I can't believe people are really going to bat for corn dogs. Like corn dogs, corn dogs are, are good. I hate that I'm going to say this because I hate to play into like the, the trend or whatever, the, the fad. But are corn dogs a fad? I just cor- said that. corn dogs are the most mid my understanding of the word mid they're the most mid food mama mid i can think of there's just nothing really great about them i honestly i think a hot dog is way more mid than a corn dog no hot dog's just bland hot dog you can just do so much more with it's just so much more flexibility yeah but just a basic hot dog's just like mid no no you're wrong you're it's okay you're just wow you're allowed to be wrong uh i i am i am not wrong on this front uh let's see it seems actually pretty quiet in terms of questions so anything you want to get off your chest before we get out of here? um my monitor is just like just turned off oh well it's turning back on so i'm just kind of speaking you, to the void here you, you are just all <laughs> over the place tonight you're gonna make really help or screw me over with editing i think so Am I? thanks a bunch <laughs> i mean kind of sort of with jumping out and jumping back in but you know what? oh well that lasted fine. like three seconds it's fine. It's fine. Anything we'll else I want to get off my chest? Um, oh, yes. My condolences to the LA Chargers fan base. Because, oh boy, to blow a 27-0 lead to the, you know, plucky, but still the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, that's just embarrassing with the talent they have. Uh, truly despicable. We'll see if Brandon Staley gets fired or not. Maybe he won't. Maybe they'll just change the offensive coordinator, but dismal. Dismal Th- is the thanks. only word. Thanks. Thanks for bringing that up. <laughs> it was a great weekend of football. There's been a lot of games. I mean, Tom, the was, Tom, the Tom Brady a- era is ending before our eyes as the Cowboys beat down the Buccaneers as I'm watching here. It was a miserable weekend for me with uh, Tottenham losing to Arsenal, that Chargers loss. Yeah, it was just not a not a fun weekend for sports for me. It was a bad weekend. Pour one out for me, guys. I'm sorry. Yeah, that sucks. Yeah, yeah, not a good one. Uh, let's see. You know, just because we like to 
make this thing go rationally long. Uh, Jared in our discord of our food thinks that is barbecue sauce overrated. I think, Oh, my screen is back on. Thank God. Okay. Um, (laughs) barbecue sauce. Is it overrated? I think it's properly rated. I I think it's properly. I don't have a good grasp of how, what it's rated as to be honest with you, but I would say it's properly rated. Gut feel is properly now, rated. God, now Rooch and Ginkori Gooch is a barber. I forget always how to say that. Are now putting, come on, you gunners. You guys are after my soul tonight. It hurts. It wasn't fun. It was oh, fun Tottenham lost. Sunday yeah, they lost. Did, did Tottenham lose? Thanks. Did, yes. Did they lose? Okay. Just checking. Just, just don't want to misspeak. Oh. Uh, oh. Yeah, that sucks. Any, any other bad takes that you want to get off your chest, though? I mean, I don't have any bad takes. Oh, I got something. I got a good take. Everyone, go watch Last of Us. Mm. It was amazing. First episode came out yesterday. For anyone that played the game, it is true to the game in the best way possible. There were a couple scenes. The Last of Us game. Oh, that's a game. Okay. Yeah. I thought you were speaking as like an old hockey man. (laughs) No. Anyone who played the game. <laughs> there, there is literally a video game, The Last of Us, that came out in 2013. Okay. And the head writer of that game is one of the head writers of the show on HBO. Episode one debuted, and it was amazing. And for and it, I think it does an amazing thing that either for both people that have not watched or have not played the game, it's a very, you don't need any prior knowledge, and it's great to see. And for anyone that has played the game, they add on it with additional story and build the world a little bit in ways that the game did not, and it was amazing. Okay. I I, I don't know. I, I, I don't relate, but... CJ, I'm going to give him a shout-out. Just chimed in a text message to Yumi saying, Holy F, Last of Us, I'm so in. They nailed it. That just, Perfect timing. That means nothing to me. I actually saw a really good take in our food channel in our Discord, which people can join. We'll tell you how you can join that in sh- shortly, but... Olaf said, wings don't require dipping sauce. They're already sauced. And I agree. This is a bad... This is like saying that burgers shouldn't have sauce. Or that steak does... Like a sauce on a steak is a bad idea. It is a bad idea. First off, wow. You just... I'm not saying A1... I'm not saying A1 steak sauce. That's a a mask off. Like, sure, chimichurri. If you want to say chimichurri. Yeah. I think that's... That's what I'm talking about. Like, chimichurri, or you go to a steak uh, a steakhouse, and they put some sort of, like... Like like the reduction or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. That's what... I'm I'm not talking about steak sauce. Get out of here with that. Okay. I I mean, I don't know. I I have you pegged (laughs) as a ketchup on steak kind of guy, but... Uh, I'm glad to be wrong. Yes. You you are so, so wrong. But but to the the question, though, or it's not really a question, but I, I do agree that wings don't need dipping sauce. Just... Because you already put sauce on them as you're cooking them, so there's no need. Yeah, but sometimes the mixing of the sauces is great, like a buffalo sauce mixed with blue cheese. Mm. Come on now, that's great. Uh, just so bad. It's, why is that? What? Just so what, bad. What is wrong with you? <laughs> it's not that controversial to say that wings like, don't sure, need sauce. There, there are certain wings that don't need sauce, but and a buffalo wing doesn't need sauce. But it also does get ex- uh, significantly better with sauce. That's like saying a taco doesn't need salsa. Sure, a taco is fine without salsa. It gets better. I don't with think salsa. I don't think those two things are the same. Uh, another thing that I and this is one of my takes actually. I'm just pulling up chips. Picks. Chips are better with salsa, but they're still good on their own. Boom. Another another take. Uh, 
we this is my take we as a collective front have failed to give tabasco tabasco its flowers tabasco's just fine tabasco's great no cholula's better oh wait <laughs> do i need oh oh no no oh no no do i do it do i say something sure say something <laughs> see as we're an hour 20 in and randomly talking about this do you want to know what i purchased today Oh, I, I did not think that's where you were going, but go for it. <laughs> I purchased a hundred packs of Del Taco Del Inferno hot sauce. A what? Repeat Wait, that. A, now I'm trying to making sure I bought the right one. I was having something today and I really, I put Cholula on it and I was like, this could really use Del Taco hot sauce. That's instead of, and so I went on Del Taco's website and you can buy a hundred packs, like a hundred packets. You bought a hundred packs of Del Taco sauce? Yes. What is wrong with you? You ask me what's <laughs> wrong with me? I'm throwing that right back at you. What is wrong with you to buy a hundred? I'm not even going to ask how much that costs. <laughs> it was $8. $8? That should tell you a hundred packs. A hundred packs was $8. Yeah. That says everything. That shipping was as expensive as, as the $8. <laughs> that's so bad um that's so bad i'm just gonna i'm gonna ignore it um there was also a lot of hate in our food channel the other day towards five guys that yeah, particularly this is from whatever. this is from steve five guys is not good and the fries are flavorless connor chimed in and said it's very mid uh, are we just outing people now from our i'm just i'm name dropping uh burgers are greasy as hell too um I don't know. This is Ugh. this is a lot of hate towards. Like, I think Five Guys is perfectly fine. I think the, the it's fine. The biggest critique I see of Five Guys it's expensive. Outside of the price is like, oh, it's like In and Out is better. And it's like, well, sure, In and Out is better, but Five Guys is fine. It's like if you sure. remove price for a second, which I know might be hard, but if you remove price, I think it's a it's a perfectly fine burger and fry. It's like a back. It's like a backyard burger. Yeah, and the fr- I think the fries are are fine. There, yeah. there's no issue with the fries. Nah, Roots Twenty said. So we'll end with this. Uh, did Jake and Felix just swap souls because Jake just had terrible food take? I don't have terrible food takes. I have good food takes. And anyone that I <laughs> okay. people might think is bad, I claim it's just my opinion and it's not a take. If anyone thinks that we have bad takes, let me introduce you to this take from one Lou. <laughs> oh God! From one Lewis X two hundred nine in our in our food channel asked, "Are we sure about rice?" <laughs> Lap, 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 Lou. Go, go watch Late Arrivals tomorrow just yeah. to make fun of Lou and his rice take. I can't believe anyone would ever dump on rice. Because I mean, he also says no sauce on burgers is his take. <laughs> Wait, I didn't say I don't do sauce on burgers, Roots. That's well, Lou's Hold take. on. I just want to make the record clear that I think rice is great. It's my favorite. I think it might actually be my favorite carb. Now that I think rice about is it. great. Rice is great. It's so versatile. It can do a whole lot yeah. of different things. Rice is great. But yeah, that's... That's just to even question that is just terrible. He also hates coffee, as Heyo D Flow brings up. Are we now just outing Lou? <laughs> I mean, Lou has done that himself. He's <laughs> outed himself. Point. He's not even here to defend himself. No, no need. He'll listen to this maybe tomorrow. We'll he, see. He deserves this this tongue lashing on his drive back. Yeah. On his, Hi, Lou. On his hungover drive back. Um, okay. I think it's time to end this. Yeah, I'm looking for more takes, but. I can't. Oh, Lou also asked, "Are are we sure spinach and artichoke dip is good?" Spinach yes, artichoke dip is great. It's good. It's very good. Connor asked, 
<laughs> or, or he said, chip and, chips and guac are a top three appetizer. I don't know what the other two would be, but it's great. Chips and guac are great. Nope, whatever. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, I think it's time to time to end oh, this, Felix. This is one of my oh. favorite. T- this is one of my favorite comments because I don't really understand it. But Hopako in our Discord said, "Just realized Felix's food takes are basically Dan Orlovsky on NFL Live, which as someone who doesn't watch NFL Live or like, you know, TV, like sports shows, I just I don't know what that means." But I'm he glad. posted a video. He posted a video of this guy and his food takes in in Discord. Oh, does he have food takes? He does. They're really bad. They're on par with yours. So let's end it, and you can watch that, and then realize how much of a slam that is on you. <laughs> Actually, I started watching, but we should probably end this. Uh, okay. Well, thanks for thanks for. <laughs> I, I just that just broke me a little bit. Thanks for listening, everybody. Um, if you've made it this far, I honestly congratulate you because that. Uh, that this last 10 minutes has been very off the rails. If you want to help support the show and help us keep this thing going, there's a few easy ways for you to do that. <laughs> I lost it again. Uh, check out our Patreon page, patreon.com slash crash the pond for a dollar a month. You get to join the fun in our discord. Uh, it's honestly just that alone is worth it for $1 a month, $5. You get access to uh, two bonus podcasts a month and uh, we were planning on doing midseason player grades today, but since we had so much other things to talk about, we were going to save that for a Patreon show. So that's basically where we go more in-depth on the team itself, more in-depth league-wide. It's honestly a lot of fun. It's a little more unfiltered, uh, although that might not be a huge selling point after today's show. Uh, but that's all at patreon.com slash pond. If you don't want to spend any money, that's totally understandable. Uh, check out our uh, podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave a rating and a review there. You can also leave a rating and a review on Spotify. Or sorry, you can leave a rating there, not a review. Find us on YouTube, youtube.com slash crash the pond. Subscribe there and turn on your notifications. And if you actually check us out on YouTube, the video format of the show, you can see Salem, uh, Jake's black cat, as she is now making currently an appearance on screen. So... You're going to have to tune in on the video to see that. And now she just ran away. She just jumped out of Jake's arms, which I don't blame her. Uh, so you can also check out the Sporting Tribune. Uh, we've got some Ducks coverage there. We had some good practice reports from our own Derek Lee last yep. week. And we've got some articles cooking there. So check that all out. But really the easiest way to keep track of all of this, uh, check us out on Twitter. Jake is on Twitter at ReindeerGames91. And I am on Twitter at Felix underscore Sicard. That's going to do it for our show tonight. Hope everybody has a great week, and we will talk to you soon. Have a good one. Bye.